Father, we thank you that you have made us and that you've made us in a particular way for particular purposes, some of those being singing, but all of them to worship you, glorify you, and to proclaim our thankfulness for your great works, particularly the ones that we're thankful for, the ones in our lives here today. We pray that you would teach us to love you, to glorify you, to be more and more your people, transformed into the image and the likeness of your Son. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. So I'm going to give you all a note here, but I'm not going to sing with this on. I'm going to mute this, okay? And I, what I'll do, because I don't think that you all know this song, is I'll sing the first verse, and then we're going to go back to the first verse, okay? And then we'll sing both verses. This is a short song, only two. So here we go. I'm going to go down just a little bit, too, because it starts at a C, which is a little bit high. So we'll go to a B. There we go. And then you would all say, amen. There you go. So, you know, I was uh, packing up my notes this morning and all that kind of stuff. And I opened up, my, opened up my bag and I saw a copy of Psalm 128 there. And, you know, once you have sung psalms like this, they kind of sort of root in you just a little bit. And all of the words kind of came flooding back. And a lot of the kind of struggles that I was having in how to communicate what I want to communicate to you about this chapter in the London Baptist Confession of Faith kind of came back and I said, wow, this is exactly the psalm because it is a promise. It is a promise of blessings on those that walk in his ways. And that is really the fundamental truth of what good works are. So, a little bit of an introduction beyond the introduction, 
I like chapter 16 because uh, it is probably only maybe uh, six words off from uh, uh, the venerable uh, Westminster Confession of Faith, faith which I love so much. And so um, I, uh, I can gladly and happily affirm everything in it without any qualms at all. I think that's pretty awesome. But so you should know there's only about six words difference between it and the Savoy. So now you know, since that's been one of the things that's been talked about. Okay. The other thing that I like about this chapter is that it is one that practically teaches itself. We could go over each paragraph and we could acknowledge its purpose and its truths and we could be edified and we could call it a day. <coughs> but we're going to do a little bit more than that. So confessions, creeds, and catechisms, they have been given to us and they hopefully will be there to as fixed monuments to the truth of God's word, to which Christendom ought to be tethered. Therefore, as we regularly return to this monument, you know, hopefully this is the, like Baptist confessions, it's something that's part of our study. Maybe some of the teaching tools that go along with confessions, catechisms, you know, could kind of help with that. They tether us to the truth of God's word, and it's what we ought to be tethered to, and therefore we should return to it, and we should remember the wonderful works of the Lord. And we, this should cause us to break out into thanksgiving to the Lord for his constant faithfulness, and it should drive us to reform any waywardness that we have in his word, from his word, and that his word may illuminate in us through these confessions. So these are tools. It's a good tool for us, and it's something that should help us in our walk, okay, which is we're going to be talking about the chapter 16 of the London Baptist Confession. It's of good works. What we're going to do is we're going to go ahead, and we're just going to read. I'm going to get, there's a mic running around here, okay? I need seven volunteers and seven people. And it's actually printed in your notes. Seven people to read the seven paragraphs of this. That, that's one of the uh, great challenges and fun to this. This is one of those long ones that has seven paragraphs, and we're just not going to be able to touch all the things in every single one of them. But we're going to make some, we're going to make some stops. So who's going to get... Paragraph one. All right, Mike and Justin, we'll get paragraph one and two over here. We need lining up people saying, you know, they'll do paragraph three, four, five, six, and seven. Okay, we've got three over there, actually. You can take three, uh, James. So go ahead. All right. You got it? Good works are only such as God hath commanded in his holy word, and not such as without the warrant thereof are devised by men out of blind zeal, or upon any pretense of good intentions. All right, and how about paragraph? These good works done in obedience to God's commandments are the fruits and evidences of a true and lively faith, and by them believers manifest their thankfulness, strengthen their assurance, edify their brethren, adorn the profession of the gospel, stop the mouths of the adversaries, and glorify God. Uh, whose workmanship they are created in Christ Jesus thereunto, that having their fruit unto holiness, they may have the end, uh, the end eternal life. Then, yep. And paragraph three. Their ability to do good works is not at all of themselves, but wholly from the Spirit of Christ, and that they may be enabled thereunto. Besides the graces they have already received. There is necessary and actual influence of the same Holy Spirit to work in them to will and to do of his good pleasure. Yet they are not hereupon to grow negligent, 
as if they were not bound to perform any duty, unless upon a special motion of the Spirit, but they ought to be diligent in stirring up the grace of God that is in them. All right, who has paragraph four? All right. They who in their obedience attain to the greatest height which is possible in this life are so far from being able to uh, supererogate and to do more than God requires as that they fall short of much which in duty they are bound to do. Okay, who's got five? Paragraph five, we need a reader. Aha! You know, this side of the room gets paragraphs six and seven, just FYI. Don't anybody on this side of the room raise your hand, okay? We cannot, by our best works, merit pardon of sin or eternal life at the hand of God by reason of great disproportion that is between them and the glory to come, and the infinite distance that is between us and God, whom by them we can neither profit nor satisfy for the debt of our former sins. But when we have done all we can, we have done by our but our duty and our unprofitable servants. And because as they are good, they proceed from his spirit, and as they are wrought by us, they are defiled and mixed with so much weakness and imperfection that they cannot endure the severity of God's punishment. All right, somebody over here. Who wants to get paragraph five? Ted, you could move over there. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I thought I saw you start to raise your hand. Who over here is, oh, uh, there you go, Pete Will. There we go. So paragraph six. Are we live? Yet notwithstanding the persons of believers being accepted through Christ, their good works also are accepted in him, not as though they were in this life wholly unblameable and unreprovable in God's sight, but that he, looking upon them in his Son, is pleased to accept and reward that which is sincere, although accompanied with many weaknesses and imperfections. Right, and who over here has got seven? <laughs> Works done by unregenerate men, although for the matter of them, they may be things which God commands and of good use both to themselves and others. Yet because they proceed not from a heart purified by faith, nor are done in a right manner according to the word, nor to the right in the glory of God, they are therefore sinful. And cannot please God, nor make a man meet to receive grace from God, and yet their, their neglect of them is more sinful and displeasing to God. All right, great, thank you. If anybody else needs any more notes, by the way, if you're coming in, Ethan over here has them. All you have to do is ask. He's been, he's been told that he must give them to you if you ask for them. <coughs> so... We've reviewed, we've read all of them, and that's the end of the lesson. You can go home now, okay? Uh, that's uh, almost, we could almost do that, but, you know, they told me to fill up 45 minutes, and so we're going to do it. So let's kind of go and stop through these. We're going to take kind of a high-altitude view and recognize that each one of these paragraphs really is answering a question or addressing an error. So, the first paragraph, it answers the question, what can be good works? Or we could read it, okay? Good works are only such as God hath commanded in his holy word 
but there are th some things that they are not, okay? So the positive answer, you can see there is only works that are commanded by God in the scriptures, but there is a negative one. There is something that it cannot be. It is not those which are without scriptural warrant, such as those prompted by blind zealousness, being holier than God, or have good intentions, but are meant to whitewash an evil work. So we're going to go ahead and we'll read the scripture proofs that go with these so we can get comfortable with them. Um, if y'all have any questions in the meantime, you're like, hey, you're not covering this or something like that, you know, uh, feel free. I encourage uh, interruptions, interjections, etc. But would somebody read Isaiah 29, 13? And then somebody else pick up uh, Proverbs 6, 30 through 31. So who's got Isaiah 29, 13? Y'all are going to have to be faster than this, guys. Okay, I expect more from you. All right, and then Dennis has got Proverbs back there. So go ahead with Isaiah 29, 13. And the Lord said, Because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. So what we have there, and Dennis has got the next one, what we have there it, is this move forward from Isaiah into the, the, the Pharisees of the New Testament. They had many laws, many washings, many things that seemed holy, but they were inventions of men and works that were not commanded in Scripture. What about Proverbs 6, 30 through 31, Dennis? Men do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy himself when he is hungry. But when he is found, he must repay sevenfold. He must give all the substance of his house. Yeah. Here in Proverbs, we see the admonition that we might feel sorry for somebody. They've done something. It seems like he's got a good intention. We have this happen all the time. Here, well, Congress will take your dollars and we'll feed the poor, okay? Okay? You didn't ask for it. Okay? It's, but it's against God's law, and God's law demands restitution. Okay? There isn't an escape from that. So, moving on. We're going to go on to paragraph two, which is actually my favorite paragraph, okay? Paragraph two answers the question. It's actually my second favorite paragraph, but, you know. It answers the question, what are good works and what do they accomplish? In short, the answer here is that they are, it says in the paragraph, the fruits and evidences of a true and lively faith. And there are about eight things that they do, okay? And we're going to get some scripture verses to go along this. You can see them down there through the, the A through H. So go ahead, people. Um, let's say I need somebody to do James 2, 18 and through 22. Okay, I got Justin. I need somebody to do Psalms 116, 12 through 13. I need somebody to do John uh, 2, 6 through 3. Don't worry about 2 Peter. Uh, I need somebody to do Ephesians 4, 15 through 16. Got it? Okay. Matthew 5, 16. Got somebody to do Matthew 5, 16. All right. Got 1 Timothy 6, 1. Anybody do 1 Timothy 6, 1? All right. We have, we have Larry in the back. And then we have Philippians 1, 11. I've got, uh, we, we, I pointed to both of you, but okay. Tell you what. Tell you what. You, somebody take Philippi, uh, 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 um, you got it. And then, and then behind you over there, um, Brittany. I'm having trouble with names this morning. Romans 6, 22. Okay, so just as I get to them, just re-raise your hand, okay? All right, so there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight things that this paragraph says that 
the, that uh, good works accomplish. So first of all, they show true and lively faith. Who's got James 2, 18 through 22? Go for it. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith uh, by my works. You see that active... You see that faith was active along with his works, and, his, and faith was completed by his works. Thank you. So this is something that we know pretty well. We talk about it a lot here. It's good to hear from Scripture on occasion. Who has Psalm 116, 12 through 13? So they manifest thankfulness, Psalm 116, 12 through 13. What shall I render to the Lord for all of his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. Uh, calling on the name of the Lord. Uh, thanksgiving, that human Eucharisto. Who has Ephesians 4? Oh, sorry. Jo 1 John 2, 3 through 6. Who's got 1 John 2, 3 through 6? Who had it? Come on, fess up. Somebody take it. There we go. First John 2, 3 through 6. And yes. by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Thank you. Uh, I could stop here for a very long time, and we could talk about assurance and, and the beauty of works that have been prepared for us and assurance. But we'll go on to the next one. Maybe we'll hit assurance here in a little bit, you know, as we kind of zoom in a little bit more. Uh, who has Ephesians 4, 15 through 16? Ephesians 4. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So the working of edification of the brethren is the purpose of these, one of the purposes of, of good works. Uh, who has Matthew uh, 5, 16? Susie. Uh, Matthew five sixteen, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven. Oh, that adornment of the gospel by where they see your good works, your light is the light of your gospel in your life is so shining that men see your good works and this prompts them to glorify God in heaven. Who has 1 Timothy 6.1? Uh, Larry does over there. Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor so that the name of God and the teaching may, may not be reviled. Very good. So the 
Uh, I think that probably I should have picked first Peter 2.15, but that one's good. I think we know this one, that, you know, the, the purpose of, of good works and, uh, and it is that it is, supposed to, it is supposed to stop the mouths of adversaries. We've all had the situation in which, you know, uh, somebody um, looks at somebody and says, oh, yeah, okay, you're preaching the gospel, but I've seen the life that you're living, okay, and it's not a good life. You're not, you know, you don't, uh, you don't honor authority, you don't obey your parents, you don't do this and that, okay? Um, but, you know, when you have an adversaries that come along and they say, oh, yes, you know, you're, you're, one, of those, you're one of those people that are preaching the gospel of peace of Christ, that, that crazy person you claim, you know, came to earth and, uh, you know, was, was a man and God and, you know, he died right and rose from the dead. You know, they see your good works and they don't have anything to say. They can't, they can't come and say, oh, yeah, so, you know, you're, you're living inconsistent. Who has Philippians 1.11? All right. Oh, John. <laughs> Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let's see. So the work, it's filling us to the glory of God, that these works that glorify God. There is, we could, have, we could use also, you know, Matthew 5, 16, let your light so shine before men that they see your uh, good works and glorify God in heaven as well for that one, but. Um, this first Philippians 1.11 is also very good. So, who has Romans 6.22? All right. Brittany. Romans 6.22, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Right. So, good works, they are a seal of the promises, promised end of holiness that is eternal life. So, let's move on to paragraph 3 in our high view. Paragraph 3 answers the question, from whence does man's power and initiative to good works come? Okay, so could somebody read John 15, 4? Ted's got it right behind you. Oh, there we go. Whichever direction you want to go. <laughs> Fifteen four. Mm -hmm. Find it. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it, it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. I am the vine. So, where do where does man's power and initiative come from to do good works? Paragraph three says that it is with it cannot be done without the enabling of and, and, and of the graces receive from the influences of the Holy Spirit. And we read that in John 15:4 and in the following pas the passages referenced there. So it's clear that you can't do anything aside from the work and a special work of the Holy Spirit. Okay, they flow from him. There is an error that the confession is dealing with that can flow from this passage. And the error that they are dealing with is that is this error that negligence that may stem from a belief that the responsibility to good work lies only through some special motion of the Holy Spirit, okay? And the thing is that this is not true. This is an, this is a, a, an, an erroneous belief, and we've run into this on occasion where we have, and we find, maybe even fall into it in our own personal lives, 
uh, where we're like, you know, I'm just not really feeling the, feeling the Holy Spirit working in me, and I'm going to sit around, I'm going to be lazy and, you know, kind of like wallow in it. And um, there is a solution to it, but before we get to that, would somebody read Philippians 2.12? Philippians 2.12. You could just, just say it out loud. Yeah, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. We've all heard this one. And also, it's good to read Second Peter, I'm sorry, 1 Peter 2.15. Uh, you know, I realize that um, it's been a while, and, and last, time I, uh, last time I taught, it was to a whole bunch of teenagers, okay, and uh, I actually do have the power to read some of these myself, okay, and, and maybe I'll do that, but I didn't plan very well for that, and my apologies, so somebody, uh, so I'm relying on you guys completely, so who has Philippians 2.13, who's got it, who's got it? I need your help. Mike does. Yeah, and it's, it has had the side effect that we're making John move around an awful lot here today. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. All right. Uh, <laughs> I gave you the wrong one, too, anyway. Okay. Well, if that was a really great scripture verse. I'm sure that we were all absolutely edified by it, okay? The point is, is that... There is more than is required than some special motion of the Holy Spirit. We have the synergistic work of sanctification. It requires us to be faithful to our calling, to who we are in Christ. It works us to be, uh, it calls us to be busy about working out our salvation with fear and trembling. We're not supposed to believe that we're just supposed to wait around and, and God's going to, uh, you know, manipulate us through the Holy Spirit like robots. We have to feel it and all that kind of stuff in order to do it. It is a act of the Holy Spirit in that, in that, and that we see. It is a seal and a sign of the Holy Spirit's existence in our life that we are able and are busy about the solution here to stir up the grace of God in us. This synergistic sanctification it is actually a seal and a sign of his good work in us. Could somebody read Isaiah 64, 7? I got it. There is no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have made us melt in, in the hands of our iniquities. I feel like I got that reference wrong. <laughs> We're just going to move on. <laughs> I guess I could read Hebrews uh, 6.11. Okay. We're going to do it here, guys. What's that? It, it, it is a difficulty, okay? But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So our job is to diligently seek. There's this kind of this, this circular process by which uh, as, as we come to God to do the things that he's commanded us to do, just like Christ said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, okay? 
Um, it's kind of, you could almost say it backwards, if you keep my commandments, then you, then you love me. I mean, that's not necessarily absolutely true, but, but the point being is that it first begins with a work of God that actually starts into motion a change of nature in us by which we must, if we are of the nature of the people that call upon God, that we will do the works of God. Whereas before we were children of wrath, we did the works of the devil because he was our father. Um, paragraph 14, 4 addresses the, an error as well, and it's mostly an error. It, it says, can man, it's asking the question, can man be so obedient as to fulfill his duty to God? And I put a blank in here for you, okay? Y'all can fill that one out. It's an answer to the question, okay? Uh, and if you are wondering about what that might be, just come and ask me afterwards, okay? I'll help you fill, out, fill that out. So, <clears throat> Can man be so obedient as to fulfill his duty to God? The answer is no. Man's greatest obedience cannot nor will ever be able to meet the requirements of duty or, that $5 word that's hard to pronounce, supererogate it. That is, to supererogate something is to actually do more than duty requires. Okay? All of our jobs would love it if we were just consummate supererogators. Okay? Um, you know, they, we would be, as a matter of fact, if y'all put that on y'all's resumes, okay, um, you know, there you go. That's one of your qualities. And, and when the interviewer says, what's your greatest weakness? I'm a super arrogator. Okay. You know, uh, you probably will get hired immediately. Okay. So, um, anyway, you cannot do more than is required by God's, uh, by God. There is no duty and no obedience of yours is going to, is going to get you to that point. So I got Luke 17, 10. Okay. I'll go ahead and read it here. So likewise ye, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you, and say, we are, you will still have to say, we are unprofitable servants, we have done that which was our duty to do. Build in some things there, because, um, because my brain just did that. I'm going to go ahead and read it exactly as it is here, the scripture without that. So likewise ye, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you, say, we are unprofitable servants, we have done that which was our duty to do. We're unprofitable <clears throat> um, this was an error of the time where, uh, you know, particularly to this creed, you know, particularly a response to the Roman Catholic um, view of works-based salvation. This was needed to be put into a confession to deal with that. Um, in the Protestant world, we don't usually deal with this kind of thinking on its face. We usually fall into it accidentally and roundabout. Okay, and then, and, and then we get offended that somebody brought it up, okay? But it's, it, this is a tether and a good boundary right here that we need to be reminded with no uncertain terms that, we, that our duty, if we follow every single commandment, there is nothing that we can do that would, uh, that would make us profitable. We are still always unprofitable. Uh, paragraph 5, it addresses another error. And the error is, it's asking this question, can man's best work merit any pardon for sin, or perhaps merit eternal life. Uh, there is a fill in the blank for you right there, okay? Um, I have in my uh, notes right here for that fill in the blank, nope. That is the correct answer, just FYI. <coughs> All right, and then we have from Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And I just have to complete this. I can't not read this next part. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, 
which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. It's just too relevant to the rest of it, okay? You know, if we, in, if, if we read it two or three times in this one, we'd be doing a good job. So the answer is, can man's best works merit pardon for sin? No, they can't. There is nothing that we can do. There is no work, no merit, everything. All of our salvation is done unmeritoriously. There's no righteousness, no righteous thinking, no righteous act, no, um, no uh, ministry that we can donate to, uh, no, uh, uh, nothing that we can, no, no poll that we can sit on and, you know, to, uh, um, to um, uh, live an ascetic life and all that kind of stuff to deprive ourselves. There is no path of works or anything about us that can merit salvation. Paragraph six answers the question, if I can't be obedient enough and my best work can't merit any pardon, why would God accept my good works? And furthermore, if God wouldn't accept them, aren't good works pointless? That is the error that it is dealing with. And with that being the error that it's dealing with, it's actually a good thing for us to go back and look and see what is said, and then we'll read Ephesians 1, 3 through 13. If somebody wants to raise their hand and say that they'll read Ephesians 1, 3 through 13 while I'm reiterating this um, 6 right here, then we could get to it then. So, yet notwithstanding the persons of believers being accepted through Christ, their good works also are accepted in him, not as though they were in this life wholly unblameable and unreprovable in God's sight, but that he, looking upon them in his Son, is pleased to accept and reward that which is sincere, although accompanied with many weaknesses and imperfections. Now, I, oh, here, let's go ahead and read Ephesians 3, I'm sorry, Ephesians 1, 3 through 13. Blessed be the God, <coughs> blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestines us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him... We have redemption through the blood, the forgiveness of our, t our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mysteries of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the full fullness of time to unite all things in him, according to heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the people purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who... <laughs> ...were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit... Thank you. No, that's good. I mean, we could just keep reading right there. That could be the theme of this paragraph right here, paragraph six. So the answer is that seeing Christ in us and us in Christ, God is pleased to accept and reward us. And so 
are our works pointless? No, they have they have a great point and a great and a great hope and a great promise. They are that seal of the Holy Spirit that we talked about right there. Is that um, and so and so they're, they're, the the error here needs to be needs to be you know resoundly um, or, or answered with a resounding no. Our works have have great 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 purpose and. One of them, I'm just reading here and looking at the hope and the glory of God's salvation and the fact that it has nothing, absolutely nothing to do with me, is that he chose me and he chose me and prepared me for good works that were prepared for before the foundation of the world so that I somehow get to be, um, you know, an integral part in the proclamation of his glory and his name. There's just so much hope and joy here. And it really should, as we look at that, we begin to be thankful um, because that is the true right response uh, of man when, you know, in, 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 uh, in God's grace and from God's grace is thankfulness. Our good works, they should necessarily absolutely just flow out of that as a very natural response. So I love this paragraph right here. I love Ephesians 1, 3 through 13. And I think that it absolutely is an important thing that we, that we talk about because even as, particularly as a, as a Protestant, Reformed, um, Calvinist-type people, we might absolutely have the inclination to say, what is the use of good works? We might sit around and wallow in self-introspection and consider the fact that we are but worms and God is holy and that nothing that we do could possibly be good. And the fact of the matter is that if we're spending that much time wallowing and we're not out there doing and rendering service to Christ, then we actually might need to ask the question, are we Christ? Because Christ people, naturally, they begin to do good works, and that's the thing that they jump to. We don't live in that world. We live in the world of glorifying and thankfully, uh, thank, uh, being thankful to God. We live in the world of the fruits of the Spirit, which are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Did I get, Where's my wife? Did I get them all right? Oh, man, I was going to impress her, guys. <laughs> okay? We live in that world. There's no law against such things. Okay? But living in introspection, thing, have I been good enough? Well, that's fear. We haven't been given a spirit of fear. Okay? Paragraph 7 answers the question, is the unregenerate man who obeys God, God's commands, given, in, given some merit, maybe a little bit, or some goodness attributed to him, could he possibly, you know, being unregenerate, okay, could he have any purpose or, or could there be any goodness or merit, you know, that God is going to give him from God, to, for his good works? Um, and the answer to that is no. There's a blank, okay, or nope, okay? Is there any, without Christ, the unregenerate man's works, they cannot proceed from a purified, um, uh, from a heart purified by faith. They cannot be done in a manner according to the word. They cannot be done to any right end. They cannot be to the glory of God. Therefore, they are sinful. They will be, there is nothing in about them without Christ. Without Christ being on them, there's nothing that they, in them that would give them any, any standing before God. And indeed, they are still required to obey God's commands. And so when they do not obey his commands, their condemnation is actually increased even more. So we have Matthew 25, I'm going to read it here, um, Matthew 25, 41. 
Then shall he say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed unto everlasting life, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungered, and ye gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and you have given me no drink. I was a stranger, and you took me not in, naked, and you clothed me not, sick and in prison, and ye visited me not. Then shall they also answer and say, Lord, we saw, uh, when we saw thee hungered or thirsty or weak or naked or sick or in prison, and when did we do not do these things? And then he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, ye did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. All right, so that was kind of a... I didn't know exactly how much time I spent. We're going to have to go ahead and, and, and wrap this up, uh, you know, and, and get down to like the zoom in here, but I expected that this might happen and I planned for it. So we've kind of taken what I thought would be a little bit swifter view and a high pass over seven paragraphs. There's so many good things. We needed to touch all of them at least a little bit because, uh, you know, this is what we're here to do, okay? But I really wanted to stop and take a look, a little closer look at paragraph two, okay? It really is... Uh, the the uh, kind of like aside from six uh, paragraph six, which is which is the hope, okay, that we have in Christ. Um, chapter two really actually is kind of a nugget in the middle of this uh, of this chapter. So um, we ha- we ask it asks the question, what are good works and what do they accomplish? Okay, and so from that we can kind of go over and do a little fast overview. Good works are what are commanded by God in Scripture, not more, not less. Good works are the fruits and evidence of a true and lively faith. Good works, oh, I put that in there twice. You get, you get double on that one right there. Good works manifest thankfulness. Good works strengthen assurance. I just want to take a real quick pit stop at assurance. Uh, I, I think that we find that, that, that assurance is one of the things that people, um, that people struggle with the most. And, and, and the struggle really happens because there's two thought cycles that you can get into. And they're mutually exclusive thought cycles. The thought cycle of unassurance, okay, it leads to nowhere besides disobedience, not doing what God commands, and hopelessness, okay? Assurance always, always leads to and, and cycles through, I know that I'm saved, because God has called me and given me joy and hope and grace in good works. Therefore, I know that the Holy Spirit is being stirred up in me and I'm stirring up the Holy Spirit by doing the good works. The Holy Spirit, it's the seal of God's promise in my life. And therefore, I believe. And because I believe, I do good works and I'm thankful. It's the flow of thankfulness. And it goes around again to here I am, I have the seal of God's good works in me because I obey him and, I, and I, I, I love him and I obey his commands. Here I am, it's true. I'm doing my best to obey his commands. And it gets back around to, here's the seal, the promise of the Holy Spirit. And when you take, and I didn't have a chance, I would have like drawn a little chart, you know, with a little, you know, little assurance pass, passage here, you know. If you love me, keep my commandments, you know. The seal of the Holy Spirit working in you to do the works prepared before you, you know, from the beginning of time, Ephesians, and back up to the top. When you live in that thought pattern of life, there, all that you have is you have a practiced set of, think, of thinking and living in belief. The other one's the other direction. You look inside yourself and you say, am I really saved? 
I don't know, okay? And then, and then, and then you go around and you, you go, I, I don't really know if I, if I feel it, okay? And, and so you're sitting there busy and you're not actually in, involved. You, you know, you might, you might, you know, go home and be going from your, you know, your work day, living, you know, Monday to Sunday and you come to church, you're like, I don't feel it. And you're, you know, you go and you maybe do a couple of odds and ends, you know, during the week. Maybe you help somebody like, I don't really feel it, okay? What you've done is you've lived, you've lived right there in, in a cycle of, of actually practicing disbelief, okay? And people who practice disbelief, they have, they have moved aside and they set aside all hope inside of them. And it's a really, really, really sad place to be. Oh, man, I spent so much time on that. Okay, I had a lot of things that I really wanted to talk about. But I'm going to go ahead, we'll do the recap here. And they'll let you go and, uh, and uh, you know, call it good. <sighs> but maybe just even talking about assurance was, was hopefully a hopeful and encouraging thing. But works, they edify the brethren, okay? Works adorn the gospel. Works, good works, I should say, not just any work, okay? Good works stop the mouths of the adversaries. Good works glorify God. Faith in Christ livens us to stir up grace. We've given that power, not just that power, but actually an active power by the Holy Spirit, which we will stir up grace towards good works with the aid of the Holy Spirit. And through Christ, God is pleased to accept our good works. So, uh, there were some other modern errors and stuff like that about works. I'm thinking that, um, that we could have talked about, we could have talked about, um, you know, communism and, uh, uh, you know, the proletariat for just a moment. We could probably have talked about a little bit more about uh, that uh, the guy sitting up on a pillar and, uh, and some of the things that the modern church falls into. But if you really, really, really care about that kind of stuff, you can just come talk to me. But we'll go ahead and pray and wrap it up, so. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We come to you in thankfulness because that is the, the chief end of man is to be thankful to you and to glorify you, that you have given us good works, that you have livened us and given us a lively faith that is able to stir up um, good works through the Holy Spirit and that through your Son, you are, you are ready and willing and, and to, to accept those, just like, just like a child who might write a letter to his father and it's full of errors and incorrections, but he's saying, I love you. The father doesn't throw it away and say, go away, son. We have a father that if we ask bread, we don't get stones. And if we ask for fish, we do not get scorpions, but you are good. We pray that you would teach us to live in habits and, and, and of, of faith and assurance and that we would practice those things and that we would take hold and grasp firmly to your seal in us, the Holy Spirit, and that it would produce good works. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.